0: Matthew chapter 2, as promised, I am preaching a Christmas message, a Christmas theme sermon for you uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 2 is where we uh, will look this morning, the word of the living God. Beginning at verse 1. I need to read these verses in your hearing uh, so they'll be firmly planted there for the uh, delivery of the exhibition. Now, I know that you are familiar with these words, but it's okay to hear them again. Amen. <laughs> All right. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, said the Jews, for we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod, the king, heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler, they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. I'm using it as a subject for the, uh, these verses that I think you probably already know, wise and otherwise. Wise and otherwise. The depressing question confronting men in this age is this, what will you do with Jesus Christ? No one is neutral regarding Jesus Christ. Either people side with him by faith or they side against him in unbelief. A prophecy uttered 40 days after Jesus' birth by the old man Simeon in the temple recorded for us in Luke chapter 234 makes this truth abundantly clear for us. Listen to the words of Simeon as he speaks to the mother of our Lord these words. This child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. Now, the words, their fall and rise needs explanation. Fall, in the statement, alludes to judgment. Rise refers to eternal life, heaven, all that that entails. Our text this morning, that I just read in your hearing, illustrates the varied responses to Jesus Christ in events that took place about two years about after his birth now the reactions that we see here in this passage of scripture um, to christ's birth demonstrates who is wise and who is a fool in spiritual terms in fact you can break men down into those two dominating categories of human beings either people are wise or they're fools simple as that All men fit in either one of those. As we began this study in these uh, verses, we looked at the heading, the wise seek him. The wise seek him. And that's what we find in the first two verses of uh, Matthew chapter 2. Herod. Herod is Herod the Great, the founder of the Herodian dynasty. He wasn't a full-blooded Jew. He was an Edomite. An Edomite was one who was a descendant of Esau, the brother of Jacob. He was not a legitimate king over Judea. The Romans, they ruled the world at this particular time, the time of our Lord's birth. And they installed uh, people to rule their conquered territories. And in Judea, they installed a man named Herod. In fact, the Roman Senate placed him there over them in 40 B.C. Now the Magi. Are the characters here in our text. We're all familiar with Magi. We're familiar with them. Uh, not necessarily historically. But we're familiar with them. Because we've all been around long enough. And we've seen the Christmas cards. And we've seen the three men on the camels. And two light skinned one and one dark one. and <laughs> <laughs> And they've even given names to these guys. No historical basis for it, but they've given names, so I'm not going to repeat them because I said I don't need to know that because it's not true. <laughs> Who were the Magi's? We know them as wise men. They were men of science. They were men of agriculture, mathematics, astrology and astronomy. And astrology and uh, astronomy were closely related in that particular time period. They were also involved in the occult, um, the Magi in general. Now, these men were politically and religiously influential. and They were advisors to rulers. Some have said they were king makers. So because of these aforementioned abilities and skills and knowledge and all that they possess, the political influence or religious influence, uh, they were called wise men. Now, these particular wise men, the men that we see in our text in Matthew 2, who travel from where they live to Jerusalem, they were wise men in the truest and highest sense of the term. You see, they believed what Yahweh had informed them concerning the birth of the king of the Jews. And they sought him out to worship him. That's the highest expression of wisdom that any human being can have is when he or she believes what God says about God's son and seeks to worship and serve and know and love him. You can't be wise apart from that. So these men were wise and they demonstrated it. Now, it says in verse one, they were from the east, are literally the rising We believe they're from a place called Parthia, Parthia, one of the regions uh, in that place east. Perhaps there were Persians. We really don't know. I don't, at least. Bible scholars uh, that these magi uh, were the recipients of teaching by Daniel, who was highly esteemed in Babylon. And he had told about this coming Messiah. And that had been passed down. And so these men probably heard about that as well. When Daniel lived in the Babylonian and the Persian empires. And so they arrive in Jerusalem. In verse 2, they're repeatedly asking the question, where is he who is born king of the Jews? And it's really repeatedly asking uh, the, uh, this question Where is he who is the king of the Jews? And let me tell you, uh, they have to repeat it because amazingly, this is what was going on. They were going around in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel, and saying, Where is he who's born the king of the Jews? And people were closed mouth. like, Who, what? And said, so Then it goes someone else, oh, Where is he born king of the Jews? And said, I- It's amazing that this momentous event, the birth of the king of the Jews, the entrance of the son of God, was utterly unknown by the inhabitants of Jerusalem. You would think something like that would be the talk of the town. Think that everybody would be talking about it. But they weren't. Matthew wanted people to get the message that, yes, Jesus of Nazareth was the king of the Jews. In fact, this gospel presents the fact that Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the Jews. If you would just go through the gospel of Matthew as you read through it and you have that in your mind, where does it say that he is king of the Jews? You will see it from the very opening of the gospel as it, you can trace it all the way through toward the end. When you open Matthew's gospel, it starts with a genealogy. It says in Matthew 1 1 the record of the genealogy of the Jesus the Messiah the son of David the son of Abraham right away Matthew establishes the one that he's talking about is none other than a descendant of David whom God had made a covenant with the Davidic covenant who God said I am going to give you a throne and a kingdom and there will be an eternal king on it god made that promise to david and what matthew is doing he's establishing right away that that one that god ultimately is talking about through that promise to david is none other than jesus jesus is royal he's part of the royal dynasty further jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy that's why they say in verse 6 of, of Matthew chapter 2, they quote Matthew, uh, excuse me, Micah 5, 2. Then Jesus himself, uh, in the Olivet Discourse, you may recall those two chapters, 24 and 25, they speak about the future event. He says in Matthew twenty five thirty one that at his second coming, he will sit on his glorious throne and judge the sheeps and the goats, sit on his glorious throne what does that mean he's a king Jesus standing before the Roman procurator Pontius Pilate he affirmed that he is king of the Jews Matthew 27 verse 11 Now Pontius Pilate was no friend of the Jews there was friction between he and them and uh, the crucifixion of Christ he wanted to really gig them, dig them uh, irritate them and he had uh, a place to on Jesus' cross above his head on a placard these words quote this is Jesus the king of the Jews Matthew 27 37 now you need to understand something about this king there are other kings in Jesus' genealogy obviously but he is not like them in one profound respect he unlike them was born of a virgin His humanity was not the fruit of male seed, but the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. He is a divine king. That's why it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah, the husband of Mary. Not that Joseph begat him, He's born of Mary. You see, you see the other other ones. It says, um, verse six. Jacob was the father of Joseph. You don't see it saying J- Joseph is the father of Jesus. It says the husband of Mary, <laughs> by whom Jesus was born. That's a telltale sign. Joseph, you ain't Jesus' daddy. <laughs> right there in the Word of God. No, no, no. If he had been born like you and me, he couldn't have been our savior. Because he had just been a mere man with sin. So he's a divine king. Divine king. Now in verse 2, Matthew 2, they say we saw his star. His star? What does that have to do with anything? Anything. We need to talk about that for a moment, don't we? Y'all say amen. Amen. All right. (laughs) What does it mean, a star? What does it have to do with anything? Well, in Numbers chapter 24, God used a prophet who was a phony, but God can use anybody to communicate his truth. He did. He used Balaam. And Balaam gave a prophecy. Remember, He was supposed to, the the plan was to curse Israel. And God wouldn't allow Balaam to curse Israel, though Balak the king wanted him to do that. Numbers 24, verse 17, it says, I see him from Israel. Star, and this is talking about Messiah, star is a symbol of kingship. Star and scepter, both of those uh, terms refer symbolically to kingship. Speaking of one who's coming as a king. So we have this, this, this idea, even then, the reality that Jesus is coming and is a king. But you wonder about the star itself. Much uh, speculation about the nature of this star. Back in our text, verse 2, some have postulated that it was a natural phenomenon. For example, a conjunction of the planets Saturn and Jupiter. Others have conjectured that it was a comet. Still others have offered the idea that it was a supernova, a fading star that exploded and is bright. These all are naturalistic explanations, but they do not fit the biblical account. They do not fit the description of this particular star, because as you read through this, you'll notice something about it. It can appear and then disappear. And it moves. It didn't act like a natural heavenly body. Down in verse nine, you can see it. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them. Ah, they saw it then. In verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy after coming into the house. We're married in some other word. You see, the star stood back in verse 9, stood over the place, the bottom of the verse, stood over the place where the child was. Can, can you imagine? That, that's miraculous, isn't it? Have you ever seen a star move and then stand over? How would you think if a star moved and stood over your house? It didn't behave like a natural body. So I, I don't believe is was uh, some physical phenomenon. I'm not saying that God couldn't do it, but I don't believe that's what he did. Now, Scripture, we don't want to be um, dogmatic about it, but I kind of will be. <laughs> it doesn't define what the star was, but I, I think really it's, a kind of glory. it's the Shekinah glory. The of glory, that is, the presence of God. He His presence many times his glory his attributes all that is reduced to light his presence the Shekinah glory you know he's there now the Shekinah glory uh, in fact I need to let you know this stars would uh, uh, figuratively be referred to in either Hebrew or Greek something um, it's brilliant figuratively to represent any brilliance or radiance and the Shekinah glory was radiance it was shining it's brilliant I believe it was the presence of God you know the pillar of cloud gave light to Israel remember when they were journeying and God separated them from uh, the Egyptians there's a pillar of cloud it's light to Israel with darkness to the Egyptians So I believe that's what it was. The very presence of God. It's glory. So they saw. Now the final words. In verse 2. Notice these wise men. They came to worship him. That was their mission. And they were seeking out. His location that they might do that very thing. Wise men. seek him but fools refuse him verse 3 they say no we see the contrast when Herod the king heard this he was troubled about them being there Herod was sitting on a political powder cake he had driven the Parthians out of Palestine and the arrival of Magi seeking to find the king of the Jews made him anxious. There were probably, you need to understand this, more than three. We have this in our mind that there were three wise men sitting on these camels and they showed up at the nativity. You see it depicted in the creches. They look like, you know, pretty harmless guys, docile, they're sitting on these camels. That ain't what it was. It is likely that the Magi traveled with a large contingent of soldiers. Get that underscore. Soldiers and servants. Can you imagine such an entourage coming to town? More than three, who knows how many, a bunch of them, and they're coming in a large contingent of soldiers and, and, and servants, and they're talking about where is he who is king of the Jews? Imagine you, you you your name is Herod and you're the king of the Jews, so you think. And you hear these guys coming, and you've already put them out of Palestine. And I know all these guys showing these soldiers don't wear as the king of the Jews. That make you nervous. I don't think there are just three. That inference drawn from the three gifts that are given, I don't think is credible. These guys I told you earlier were considered. Kingmakers. So that adds to the mix. That adds to the trouble that uh, Herod was having. His anxiety level, his blood pressure pressure level, went up. If they put the cup on him, they oh boy, we got to hospitalize you. <laughs> See, he saw this as a threat because these were powerful men, and they're coming into town. This huge number of people they had even the demeanor of royalty it says it is reported but, uh, so this guy Herod was agitated now it says in the text here uh, Jerusalem with him they were troubled so why would they be troubled because Herod's trouble and Herod was a cruel man Herod was paranoid. He even killed members of his own family, his own sons. This guy was off the charts wicked. And they knew if he got upset, trouble could happen, put people to death. You, you know what happened in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse um, 16. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under. This guy was a child murderer. He feared for his throne. He wanted to remain there. And so that's why he was troubled. I want to say something about the people in Jerusalem. They were looking for a political and military savior. They weren't looking for a uh, savior from sin. We even see this in Jesus' ministry. At one point, remember in the Gospel of John, they wanted to take Jesus after miracles of feeding them, feeding the 5,000 men plus women, all of that. They said, oh boy, this is wonderful. You can feed us miraculously. Come on, you're going to be king. You can do miracles. You can get rid of the Roman yoke. We're going to make you king. Jesus said, no, no, not doing that. That's what they wanted. So that was all of this stuff was in the mix. That was what was going on here in this story. So Herod, he's heard, um, I can see them now going, Herod, king, live forever. They're saying, where is this king of the Jews? He said, we've got to find out. So what does he do? He goes in verse 3, gathers all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. The chief priests, these were the people who were the religious leaders and had political power in Israel. The scribes, primarily Pharisees, they were authorities in the Old Testament. They are also uh, called lawyers in the New Testament. And so they knew what the scriptures said. They knew the prophecy of the birth of Messiah. And they referred him to Micah chapter 5. They tell him, that's where you find out. It's in Bethlehem. Because that's what the prophet said. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. Now, Micah doesn't read like Matthew. Micah says, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Oh, Matthew inserted the words, and by no means. You say, oh, this is a contradiction. I told you the Bible has contradictions. No, you just don't know that Matthew is under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And no. what he wrote is exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted him to write for this particular moment. It's just like it was what Micah wanted him to write back then. Because the Holy Spirit is a, a single ultimate author of the scripture. Yes, he a human being, but every word is what the Spirit of God wanted here. You need to understand that. You see... Uh, Matthew was showing the fulfillment of Micah's prophecy by the words he inserted. Bethlehem had been transformed from a relatively insignificant town to one of great honor because the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was born there. It's like we do today. Some little way out of the way town that has no claim to fame, they have a resident that goes and becomes famous. And what do you do when you drive? This is the home of so-and-so. Now they got some honor. <laughs> well, Bethlehem had the distinction of having none other than God incarnate being born there. The king of the Jews. In a little Podoc place. Insignificant place. Isn't that just like God? If it had been us, we'd say, oh, no. I got to be born in Jer- Jerusalem because that fits me, my status. But the king of, of the Jews, the Lord was born there. And you'll see in Micah, he f- calls him ruler and a shepherd, meaning he will exercise sovereign dominance. Jesus will be the final and perfect ruler of Israel. In fact, he will be the final and perfect ruler of the entire world. He's going to come back. He's going to sit on his throne. He's going to rule the whole world. He's going to put down the mess. He's going to rule in perfect righteousness. There'll be perfect justice. He's going to come and it'll be stern. He won't play. But here's something we need to recognize: spiritual indifference. Now you think, Magi come to town. They're saying, "Where is he born, the King of the Jews?" And the religious leaders, scribes and Pharisees, "Oh, you know, it's right there in Micah, Micah five two. It's in Bethlehem. Stars told us about it. These guys come to town. We read the scripture. You know what we got to do? Let's go and investigate. They don't do that. They're indifferent." To Messiah. They could have traveled five miles from Jerusalem. To investigate the claims of his birth. But they didn't do it. You know why? Because they're fools. Fools are indifferent to Jesus Christ. They show no interest in him. They have no use for him. And this really was a preview. Of what's going to happen in his life. Because as you understand. You read through the New Testament. You see it was the chief priest. Priests and the scribes who opposed Jesus, who were hostile to Jesus, and they were chiefly responsible for his crucifixion and death. They did not accept him when he was born or when he preached and taught. They were, in fact, his supreme enemies. They were unbelievers. They occupied his spiritual offices, they were looked upon as spiritual leaders, but they were unbelievers, dead men, spiritually. Religious, but spiritually lost. Religion for them was what they could get out of it. And Herod was a fool too. We see in verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Herod's words in verse 8 do not match his true intentions. There was secret hostility toward the newborn king of the Jews. But his hatred, though concealed on earth, was an open secret in heaven. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says this and there is no creature hidden from his sight but all things are open and lay bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. End of quote. In other words, give an account. People can hide their motivations. They can act like they're believing one thing but God knows the truth about every single human being on the planet. He didn't fool the sovereign God of the universe. Can't hide from him. And let me tell you, people like the like Herod and like the religious leaders exist today. The wise seek him; fools refuse him. The wise worship him. See it after hearing the king. They went on their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them. I think what happened here, the star reappeared. It's another reason why we don't think it's a natural heavenly body. It guided them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And their reaction to seeing the star They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Check this out. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. If you rejoiced exceedingly, do you have to say with great joy? (laughs) I mean, come on. I get the first part, but here's the deal. Uh, The the superlatives are there to express the deep, profound, pervasive joy they saw that they had when they saw the place where the child was. Hmm. Then they go into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Notice they're in a house, not a stable. So when you look at the nativity scenes and you see, I think, I, did I say this earlier? And you see them all there with the, the shepherds and Mary and Joseph. It's a placid, wonderful little scene. It's lovely. It touches the emotions and all that. Just understand, that's not how it happened. Jesus was almost two years old when the Magi got there. And they were in a house in Bethlehem. May I throw something in? You need to read the Bible carefully. Don't be sucked in by traditions. Say, is that really what the Bible says? There is. Notice something else. They fell to the ground and worshipped him. Wow. They worshipped him. This is a child. But they knew who this child was. They knew he was God. And they worshipped him. Charles Wesley's hymn, Veiled in Flesh the Godhead Sea. Hail the incarnate deity! Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hmm. That's who they were worshiping. They knew he was God in human flesh. Hmm. That's not all they did. They brought him gifts. And they presented them, notice in the text, to him. Isn't that interesting? You would think, oh, well, he's about two years old. Here, Mary. Here's Joseph. Take these because, you know, he's, he, he can't handle No, they presented them to him. presented the three gifts that are listed here. Gold. It says, uh, historians let us know that in the ancient world, you didn't approach a king without gold as a gift you can even see like Tutankhamen opened his his tomb and all the gold King Tut remember they gave him gold gold this precious metal is a symbol of royalty the next is frankincense costly perfume used for special occasions is used in certain royal prof- pro- processions for example in the song of solomon chapter three verses six and seven so it related to uh, royalty then the third one myrrh also a perfume emphasizing humanity some have elaborated on this figured what all this means some even suggest this was for his burial i don't know if they knew that or not perhaps they did but indeed it related to his humanity And they presented them to him. And mm, these gifts, particularly the gold, financed, some scholars believe, the trip to Egypt. That Joseph and Mary would have to take, to take the child away from potential trouble that occurred as you understand further in chapter 2. And I want to show you one last thing. I told you God knows everything. You can't hide anything from him. He knows every intention, desire, will, motivation of every single human heart. After they had seen the child, worshipped him and gave him the gifts, verse 12, God says this, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Another aspect of being wise spiritually is this, obey God's revelation. I don't know if God told them what the deal was, but that doesn't matter. He doesn't have to tell you why, you just need to do it. And that's what they did. They simply obeyed the Lord's command. They were wise. But the other characters in this narrative were otherwise. They were fools. Jesus Christ, is not only the king of the Jews, he is the king of kings. He reigns right now. And for all who come into his kingdom through faith in him, he rules over their hearts. Spiritual kingdom. He is their king, our king, our monarch. He sits on the throne. And he he rules in varying degrees. As we grow, he rules more and more. But he is king, right? One day, as I've told you earlier, he is going to rule the entire planet. Not only will he just rule in hearts, he's going to rule over the entire world. uh, Physically, here, his will will be done. That's who this child is. It's worshiped King of the Jews. He is our Savior, He's our Lord. And we worship Him, right? And don't go boasting. Thinking, I'm not like those fools. Herod and the scribes and the Pharisees. Don't go boasting. The reason I say that is the reason you're wise. It's not because you were just wise. It's because God made you wise. When he reached down and plucked you out of the muck and mire. When he saved you. Made you his own. And then you knew who Jesus Christ truly is. And now you worship him. He is our wisdom. (laughs) That's because of the grace of God. So don't go boasting. Go praising him thanking him for making you wise. Because you know, at one time, you were otherwise. <laughs> Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we bless your name for the profound truths of the coming of the Son of God to earth. We thank you for uh, who he is and what uh, you he did for us in redeeming us on the cross. I pray for any in this room this morning who have yet to come to Christ who are, who lack the wisdom they need that you would draw them to yourself. We pray for believers who need to grow in their faith and serve in a local assembly but under church add them here. We pray for these individuals that you do this for their good and joy and your glory. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.